Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast, guys. Today is going to be a great episode with Randy Johnson of Utah of HighDesertSheepGuides.com. And uh, Randy's been around, uh, been a guide, been on over 150 uh, different sheep uh, harvests and uh, has a wealth of knowledge from the state of Utah and all over the the world and uh, is just a fantastic guy. Before we get to that episode, I wanted to remind you that the June Insider Giveaway uh, for GoHunt.com Insider is five Kuyu tents. And in their promotion here on GoHunt.com, the giveaway details, it says we're now another month closer to hunting season. That also means another month of insider giveaways to show our appreciation to our insider members. The GoHunt team will even give uh, more great products in June. This month we have five Kuyu Mountain Star two-person tents from Kuyu, uh, total value of $2,250 and the tent details the Mountain Star two-person tent is a freestanding double wall three plus uh, season tent with exterior, po- exterior pole design. The tent works great as a lightweight backpacking tent that can also handle any weather thrown at, at it in the mountains uh, at three pounds 3.3 ounces uh, with uh, carbon fiber poles, tent body fly and poles, freestanding, unique suspended double wall tent design, fully taped seam on fly, tub and floor, double hoop and truss design, removable tent body for fly only and fly and footprint pinch. Uh, this, this tent is uh, a phenomenal tent and uh, all you have to do is be an insider member uh, to have a chance to win. And five insider members are going to win this tent. Uh, and in recent months, GoHunt.com Insider has given away five Browning X-Bolt Hell's Canyon speed rifles, uh, five Zeiss uh, 10x42 Conquest binoculars, two coos deer hunts in Mexico with Dar Colburn and myself, uh, four landowner tags, one doll sheep hunt with a retail value of 22500 100 phone scope, digiscoping adapters, uh, Kuyu sleeping bags, Kuyu backpacks, and the list goes on and on. All you have to do is be a GoHunt.com insider member. Make sure to use the J. Scott promo code and you'll automatically get a $50 Kuyu gift card upon signing up. Guys, we have some dates and deadlines that I want to remind you about. Uh, We've got uh, tentative draw results for Wyoming deer, antelope, and resident elk. Uh, Here in mid-June, we've got uh, the tentative draw results for Montana moose, sheep, goat, and bison. Uh, Make sure to get your Arizona sheep, deer, bison applications in by the deadline Tuesday, June 14th. Uh, also here, June 20th, the results are out for Idaho deer, elk, and antelope. Uh, so don't miss out on, uh, these, uh, dates and deadlines and, uh, make sure you get your applications in for Arizona, uh, for deer, sheep, and bison. Um, there's really no reason a non-resident should not apply now. Uh, being able to apply with the credit card, 
uh, and uh, now getting a bigger, not a bigger percentage, but you don't have to have max points as a non-resident in order to draw. So make sure you get your Arizona application in. Guys, I also want to remind you that GoHunt.com has a bunch of uh, tags for sale. If you just take New Mexico alone, again, you can go on GoHunt.com and see their tags for sale. They've got a New Mexico Unit 34 private land only elk tag, $6,750. A New Mexico Unit 15 muzzleloader elk tag um, in October for $6,300. Uh, New Mexico Unit 36 private land only elk hunt fully guided, uh, $8,900. Uh, you've got a New Mexico Unit 45 rifle elk tag, $2,700. Uh, New Mexico Unit 12 private land only elk hunt uh, fully guided, $7,500. Uh, there's several Unit 12 uh, hunts here, ones for $5,500. You've got uh, New Mexico Unit 4 muzzleloader deer, New Mexico Unit 10 uh, archery elk tag, semi-guided for $3,250. There's just a, a lot of different hunts here for all sorts of price ranges. There's uh, New Mexico Unit 56 private land only uh, antelope hunt, fully guided for three grand. Um, there is a New Mexico Unit 4 Fully outfitted uh, rifle elk hunt for $6,600. Uh, uh, a rifle cow hunt in Unit 12 for $1,600. So make sure you go to GoHunt.com and check out. That's just New Mexico alone. Check out all the different hunts all over the western U.S. I'd like to thank my sponsors, GoHunt.com Insider, uh, the Outdoorsman's Wilderness Athlete, uh, the Utah Hydrographics Phone Scope and the Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines. And you'll hear throughout this episode uh, different commercials with uh, using the J. Scott promo code. You can receive discounts through all of these companies. And I appreciate you guys, all your support. Uh, I get feedback from the sponsors of, of you guys using the J. Scott promo code and supporting these fine companies. And I appreciate all you guys, the listeners, and I really appreciate all the feedback that I get through my email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com and on my Instagram account uh, through the messaging there. Uh, also, you can follow along on my Facebook page, jscott, and on my YouTube channel, uh, Dara and I have a YouTube channel, J. Scott Outdoors, and it's uh, gaining traction every day. Uh, guys, I also ask, I would like to ask you guys to, um, if you haven't, go on iTunes and give us a positive review. Give us a five-star rating. Leave some positive comments. Uh, that helps our placement in iTunes. And I'd also like to announce that we have just at the J. Scott Outdoors podcast, uh, past 2 million downloads. And uh, that's, to me, an unbelievable number. And I just want to really thank you guys for your support. Um, and I get emails uh, every single day um, cheering me on and uh, with, with very positive comments. I also get emails with uh, people you want to hear on the podcast and Randy Johnson uh, was a uh, bunch of you have asked for Randy Johnson to be on the podcast. So you're going to get to hear a great episode today with him. 
And uh, if you want to hear any special topics or any people, just uh, give me an email. Uh, if you've got any questions, I'm constantly answering questions uh, about optics and about backpacks and gear and uh, what to apply for. And uh, feel free to email me uh, with any questions uh, that you might have. So let's get right to this episode with Randy Johnson. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got Randy Johnson of High Desert Sheep Guides out of Utah. Randy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. A beautiful day out here in Utah. What part of Utah do you live in, Randy? I live in southern Utah in a little town by the name of Marysvale. Okay, and... uh, are you familiar with uh, that I drew the uh, Utah beaver archery elk tag? Is that anywhere near where you live? I am familiar with uh, that. My friend Ryan Olson told me, and I believe I saw something on Instagram, uh, the beaver or Tusher Mountains. It's right in my backyard, Jay, and uh, you're going to have an incredible hunt. Uh, there's some great bulls up there, and you're going to have a fun experience. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, how does the Beaver Mountain, how does that unit compare to, say, uh, you know, the back in the heyday, which I assume was eight or ten years ago, it seemed like every, every unit in the state of Utah was really producing some big, big bulls. How do you see the unit uh, compared to the heyday? The Beaver Mountain would still have to be considered one of the top elk units in the state there are four or five outstanding units but the beaver has a lot of thick cover and that's why some of these bulls uh, get as big as they do and then it's also in close proximity to three other great units uh, the Mount Dutton unit the Boulder unit and the Pavant unit along with the Monroe and so you get a lot of transference of bulls, especially during the rut, who just take off from one mountain range to the other looking for big herds of cows. Randy, in your experience up there, um, the the season dates this year in Utah, I believe, are five days later. I think it goes to the 16th of September, uh, whereas last year, I believe it ended on the 11th. Uh, how much importance do you think that additional five days uh, plays in uh, the archery elk season compared to other years where uh, the seasons tend to end pretty early? Those additional days uh, will probably make all the difference in the world of hardcore archery hunters like yourself. Uh, those last four or five days, those bulls should be right in the heart of the rut and just going crazy and so that will provide a much greater opportunity for you archery hunters to find the the bolt you're looking for normally um when do you first start hearing your bugles up there on on the beaver uh as far as a timeline is it late august early september when do you kind of start hearing them we'll start hearing them late august early september a lot of times I'll be with a mount goat hunter uh, early on in September and the bulls are starting to go crazy then. And uh, you get a little cold weather, as you know, Jay, it triggers that rut. If you get a cold snap a little bit early, uh, definitely the bulls will start. 
any of that country um, where the mountain goats, I mean, are there elk all the way up where the mountain goats live as well? You bet. Yesterday, uh, I was about 12,100 feet, just on a little, uh, or a big hike, I guess you would call it. And there's lots of snow up there right now. And I was seeing elk clear up at 12,000 feet with the goats. Uh, I was really surprised. Uh, that's fantastic. And um, so are those elk um, migratory, meaning that they'll uh, just follow that snow line and go as high? I mean, were they standing in snow or were they in the open patches or, you know, what kind of, they, where did you were, see them? They were in the open patches, but it seems like as the grass and, and different vegetation starts to green up where the sun has melted some snow, uh, they're on top of it very quick. And so they were right on the edge of the, the snow line where there was good green feed. That's awesome. Uh, what kind of expectations um, as far as trophy quality in a day's hunting, depending on where I'm at in the beaver unit? I mean, uh, you think it's, it, would it be common, say, those the last seven days of the hunt to, you know, hear multiple bulls bugling kind of, uh, here and there, or kind of maybe first hour, last hour. What what's kind of uh, what kind of expectations? And as far as size quality, will I be seeing a lot of you know three twenty, three thirty bulls, and an occasional three fifty, or will I be seeing you know three hundreds to three tens, and occasional three thirty, three forty, or is it better and seeing you know three thirty to three fifties, and an occasional three seventy? You'll have uh, multiple bulls just bugling all night, morning, in the middle of the day. Uh, my dad uh, is fortunate enough to have a cabin uh, right here in the heart of the unit without anyone around. He's on a patented mining claim, and uh, that time of year, a lot of the bolts come off of the tops down into that thick timber, and we'll just sit out on the deck of that cabin and listen uh, to those bolts bugle all night long. But as far as uh, the caliber, uh, you'll, you'll see bulls in that 330 range for sure, but you should have a realistic expectation of of taking a bull from 350 clear on up to 400. Uh, I've I've seen archery hunters on this unit, you know, take 380 bulls, 390 bulls. Uh, I had a, a hunting friend a few years ago take a really nice 375 bull not too far from our cabin. So it's it's just a great hunt for archery hunters. It doesn't matter where you're from. Uh, you're going to see some great bulls. In in your opinion, uh, other people have said that you know the the heyday of of you know U Utah eight or ten years ago that the beaver somewhat is still in that heyday and and they've alluded to the thick timber that you that you allude to as well as the mountain being pretty rough so do you feel like the the overall quality has not dropped that much from from when utah was really on top of its game for big bulls i agree i don't believe the quality has dropped that much you may not have quite as many numbers of big bulls but the big bulls are still there and you could find one uh it's a big unit from the south end clear to the north end. But there's some rough country there, and, and I think those hunters who concentrate some of the rougher country probably have a, a better opportunity of, of finding one of those bigger bulls. 
That makes sense. Uh, Randy, I've had a bunch of requests actually uh, on my podcast. I ask the listeners to uh, let me know who they want to have on the podcast and your name has been brought up several times and so I'm anxious to have you on here today and and talk to you. Uh, You have a ton of experience. I'd like to ask you to uh, give me a, a introduction a, a 30,000 foot view introduction of yourself and and uh, w- you know w- where you're from and and uh, how you know how you got your start in hunting and and life and and uh, you know just give me a give me a intro here well I appreciate that very much I'm I'm a Utah boy born and raised southern Utah uh, grew in a small rural area, Marysvale, as I, as I told you, is the little town that I live in, and that has been my home my entire life, other than those years when I was going to college, and, and I played athletics in college, and so during that time, I, I didn't live here, but my uh, grandpa was a die-hard mule deer hunter, uh, fairly legendary in these parts, and just after I could barely walk, I was going with my cramp on my dad, who also loved to hunt on this mountain, and they taught me and gave me a, a passion for hunting. And then as I grew, I took that uh, to another level, and I began to uh, explore a lot of the desert terrain in, in Utah, looking for sheep and, and big mule deer. I just wanted to get away where I didn't feel like other people went. And so I became a hardcore backpack hunter and learned a lot of country where uh, people just weren't going at that time. And then I had people uh, start to ask me if I would guide them uh, because some of this country was where desert sheep live. And they knew that I uh, was very familiar with it. And it some of it's fairly dangerous country, so that's kind of how I started guiding uh, was with sheep hunters, and then I have taken the occasional elk hunter and buffalo hunter and goat hunter uh, through all those years. Uh, I guess uh, in some parts of the desert country here in Utah, I was a little bit of a legend because of my knowledge, and I just loved it all of that time, and I was fortunate enough uh, in 2010 to be inducted into the inaugural Full Curl Hall of Fame uh, in Salt Lake City. And then uh, I've been a lead field editor for iReview Gear for a number of years and a staff member at Altitude Outdoors, and I, I do some consulting for Worldwide Trophy Adventures, but Actually, Jay, I worked for four years as a school administrator, but my passion has always been hunting. That's fantastic. I know you have just a burning desire to be out in the sheep woods uh, in the in the deserts out there. Tell me a little bit about Utah's uh, sheep herd and how how is it going? I, I've been noticing, you know, I, I ply every year, but I've been noticing that. Uh, Seems like uh, there's been some pretty good rams being killed, and uh, the the herds seem to be thriving in, in lots of places. Well, genetically, uh, we'll never probably be as good as in Arizona or Nevada 
or a California, but we do have a couple of units where there was an infusion, a transplant of sheep uh, from Arizona and from Nevada, and those units are producing some pretty darn solid rams. Uh, if you can take a 1 to 70 ram in Utah, you're taking a phenomenal ram, but we do have a few rams that will get bigger than that. Uh, overall, we've had some units in Utah that are actually hurting right now because of a lion and a little bit of disease, but we have four or five units that are very healthy. It's tough to draw a tag there, but it's a different hunting experience in Utah than it is in Arizona. There are some of those units that are backpack-type units, and they can be, I guess, a, an incredible sheep hunting experience for those people who look forward to that kind of a, a hunt. But overall, our desert sheep are doing all right in Utah, but they will never never reach the caliber of an Arizona or, or Nevada. Yeah. Uh, Randy, do you have uh, hunts that you're going to be guiding coming up this fall or your own personal hunts? Uh, I know I saw a video of you shooting a Wyoming ram, I believe, last year. Um, what do you have on scheduled uh, here this fall uh, on the books? Do you have anything that you're looking forward to? Boy, I, I do have some just great hunts that I'm looking forward to. Uh, this summer, I'm going to run back down to California myself on a wild boar hunt with my good friend Ryan Olson of White Bone Creations. Uh, we're just looking for a big boar and the drought and and some overhunting in some situations has hurt the quality down there, but we just go out and have a fun time and get off the beaten path, and whether it's hot or not, I'm going to run back down there, and we'll see if we can turn up a big boar. And, and then I have a number of uh, sheep hunts here in Utah, and I, every sheep hunt's a, an incredible experience for me, but a couple of them that I'm really looking forward to, I have a, a desert sheep hunt with a, a uh, 78-year-old hunter from Idaho who actually completed his uh, full, full curler Grand Slam here in Utah last year, and then he won a hunt at the Western Hunting Expo. I don't know what the odds are of doing that. And so he phoned and he says, "Will you take? Will you guide me again, Randy?" And I said, "Sure." But this gentleman, what makes him special is he's a uh, he flew 168 combat missions over Vietnam. Wow. And that's where he started his sheep hunting was when he was in the Air Force as a lieutenant colonel. He was stationed in some of those Asian countries and started sheep hunting and has just loved it. Now 78 years old, he's still doing it. And, and we're hoping that we can find him a, another big desert ram this year and I have a gentleman uh, from Ohio who's never hunted sheep in his life uh, who drew a lot of hunt sheep out here, and we're going to show him a fun time. So those are some sheep hunts that come to mind that I'm excited about, and I'll be out on the mountain with a buff hunter and some goat hunters and a gentleman who has liver cancer who drew a up here, and, and that will present a few challenges, but we still believe we'll find him a a nice bull and 
And then I've got an odd dad hunt of my own scheduled uh, next March out in Texas with Jim Breck Bean. So I try to stay busy just like you do, Jay. Absolutely. That sounds uh, like a great fall coming up. Let's take a quick break here, Randy. Thank you. GoHunt.com Insider is by far the most valuable tool a Western hunter could give themselves. GoHunt.com Insider are the industry leaders and number one source for Western hunting for a lot of reasons. GoHunt.com Insider have changed the game for how hunts and hunting information are found. Within a matter of minutes using filtering 2.0, you'll be able to filter by state, species, residency, odds of drawing a tag, specific hunting dates, and harvest success percentages to find the hunts that fit exactly what you're looking for. If you are a guy that applies across the West or just in your home state but want to find some new opportunity, there's no better way to do it than using GoHunt.com Insider. As an exclusive offer to my listeners, if you sign up for a GoHunt.com Insider membership for $149 a year and use the promo code JSCOTT, at checkout, you'll receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Head on over to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and get yourself the most valuable membership a hunter could have. I have known the owners of the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix for over 20 years. They are the authority on optics and hunting gear. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods, mounting accessories, and pack systems for all hunters. Their customer service is the best in the business. Go to Outdoorsmans.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any Outdoorsman's products. Randy, I was noticing on your website uh, that you had found the sheds of the Buck of Justice. Can you give the listeners a little bit of a background on on that buck and uh, kind of the story and everything behind uh, the Buck of Justice? You bet. Uh, that's it's it's quite a story, and I guess as I begin this, I'll just premise my thoughts, Jay, uh, with my own personal belief that. You know, finding, taking a giant mule deer buck is still probably the most difficult challenge in North America just because of where they live and and not that many get to be what we would call giants. But uh, the story of the Buck of Justice started for me way back in the early 90s uh, when I was getting out in places uh, scouting and looking for desert sheep and, and big mule deer and these were very remote places backpack type desert terrain and uh i'll never forget it was uh it was about the middle of june june 15th to be exact of 1993 and i was on a solo backpack hunt and uh i was doing some glassing and there were these seven giant mule deer bucks and it's only the middle of june they don't have their full growth at that time and off the side of these big bucks there was this one lone buck and i had never seen anything like him and he still didn't have that full growth and i knew that i had to go into that area and and hunt and as i started to do my homework i started to find a, a shed antlers and i i hadn't found a shed antler from him and and finally, I figured out where he was spending his time and, and dropping those antlers. And so my younger brother, Lane, 
went in with me and and over a number of years we found the first set there in 1994 and we uh, found two or three others off the same side and then it took several years to find all the matching sets but we eventually actually found five sets off of him and uh, two other individuals found two other sets that I'm aware of. He just, uh, I've never seen a mule deer buck with those kind of antlers. The mass on this buck was just unreal. The biggest set that, uh, we found the three biggest sets, which scored 288, uh, 284, 274. And he had bases, Jay, that were eight and three quarter inches. And <laughs> his antlers looked like an elk antler. And I just tell people I where this buck lived, I believe there was, there was some prehistoric genetics down there and a uh, longer growing period, a very hot area, highly mineralized. And uh, after a while, you know, people started to figure out uh, where some of those bucks were living and there was never great numbers in that particular area and so that hurt it as more hunters started to hit it but I, I hunted that deer for 10 years myself and I only saw him twice while I was hunting him uh, once on a muzzleloader hunt in a snowstorm and he came up out of his bed in a thick patch of pinions, and I just didn't get the shot off. I'm still kicking myself, but uh, perhaps it's appropriate that his legend goes down is that he never was killed. Uh, a sheep hunter actually ran into uh, his last set of sheds and his skeleton and, and didn't actually realize what he had found until people started telling him, and I can't believe I missed that last set of sheds because I'd been past that particular place a lot of times. But I went back in because it meant so much to me. I spent 10 years of my life, and I found that skeleton, and I packed these bones out. Uh, it's kind of an interesting side side story. What a buck, though. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, unbelievable story. A couple questions that come to mind when I, when I hear that story and just... Uh, I'm not a, a very big shed hunter, but I always, it's always curiosity always gets me in, in the, in the, when you were finding the sheds, how, how, what kind of a diameter of a circle are we talking or, or did he, did his range tighten up the older that he got? And I guess the question I'm asking is, you know, how close usually are those big buck sheds like that? Or how close were his sheds to each other? I mean, was it a, Give me a range of, you know, distance in, in, yeah, in where you... Three sets of those sheds were within 400 yards of each other. Uh, the other two sets were spread out with a square mile. Just really rugged country, but that old buck would go back into that same general area year after year. Uh, logically and, and shed those antlers. It was his home turf, I guess we could call it, and just amazing what these animals do, uh, big bucks and big bulls, going back to certain locations where they they like to winter and like to shed their antlers for renewal of growth. 
Yeah, for sure. And and the two times that you did see him in a you know, how far in miles was he from that area where he shed? I mean, did he travel long distances or or a couple miles? He was he was a random roamer, but it was such rugged country that he was within where I saw him within four miles of where those sheds were. Gotcha. Gotcha. And the last set uh, where, where you the, the guy found the bones, um, had he r- really declined? How, how did it, his antler configuration from some of the sh- uh, sheds that you found, how, how did he end up on his, his last set? He hadn't digressed that much. He was still, you know, a phenomenal guy. If I remember right, that set was scored, I believe, at 264, which is uh, still incredible. So as far as digression, he was going down some, but uh, he a few points, but his mass was still there. How did he get the name Buck of Justice? Uh, that's another unique story. I had spent years in this rugged, miserable uh, desert terrain and I had a couple of friends and when we found those sheds they said there's only one name for this buck the bucket justice because of all the time you had spent in there so that's how uh, he got his name that's awesome that it that's a great story um, and then your love for shed hunting and such, um, you know, spending 10 years of your life, you know, following one buck, uh, have you had other bucks? Um, you know, is that kind of a, a one time thing? And, you, you know, that's about the pinnacle of, of following a buck or do you still to this day have bucks that you try and uh, follow and pick up their sheds and try and figure out? Well, I, I do when, when I, uh, got into the guiding it started to eat up a great deal of my time but when when i'm scouting in some of this country i'll run on to you know big sheds and in the early 90s shed antler hunting wasn't that big but as you know now it's it's just went crazy uh people everywhere love to get out and find big elk sheds and and big deer sheds but if I find a, a a big deer shed that is really promising out in an area where I don't think it's getting as much pressure, I'll I'll go back there and concentrate on that area because I know there's a big buck living there, uh, and I I've just I've got some phenomenal other shed antlers that I've found over the years that you'll have to stop by my home someday and and look at them. I, I mounted, actually had some of those mounted just because they're such special antlers. I thought that animal needed uh, to be recognized in a mount. And that's been fun for me. Absolutely. Uh, I saw you you hunted Wyoming, I believe it was last year, uh, for Rocky Mountain bighorns. Um, tell me a little bit about that hunt. What, what an incredible experience. Uh, I've been putting in Wyoming for about 17 years, and uh, the unit, a lot of people said, you know, it's not as good a unit, and it's one of the more rugged units in the state. You may want to stay away from that, but I felt like a drive as I researched it, and that was uh, unit one. And so 
within the Absaroka Mountains, which are very historical, rich in history, uh, not only with our Native Americans, but with outfitters and guides. And and so I started to, to research that, and I knew I was going to go do it alone, uh, and not alone, but on my own, uh, self-guided, because I had that kind of experience and know-how. But in Wyoming, to go into the wilderness areas, you have to have a, a Wyoming resident that actually has a guide license. And I just had a great friend whose wife I had guided on a desert hunt down here a few years ago, Lee Francis, uh, who lives in Wyoming, and Lee had his guide license. And he said, anytime you, when you draw your sheep hunt up here, I'll go with you so that you can go into the wilderness. And and so I took Lee with me and two other good friends uh, from Utah, Steve Sorensen and, and Jason Jensen. And boy, we went in some 15 miles into the Absarokas. And as you probably heard, that particular area is relatively close to Yellowstone. And it has the highest concentration of grizzly bears in the U.S. And, and being kind of a desert boy down here in Utah, I'm not exactly used to grizzlies, but uh, we saw a lot of grizzlies on that hunt. But uh, it, it was just special because during the process of my hunt, uh, we were on a, a mountain some 12,000 feet up and ran into this uh giant set of elk antlers that had been placed on a rock and had some rebar down through its skull. I had spotted those from uh, several miles away, and that was actually a location where uh, an old outfitter guide's family had taken that elk skull in and then had spread his ashes in in what we felt like was a very sacred location. His daughter had left a really special note uh, in a bottle, and uh, I remember as we read that note, it meant a lot to all, all of us. We actually got tears in our eyes uh, because one, uh, how that family had recognized the final resting place of, of their dad, and, and then later I was able to actually take a phenomenal ram uh, for Wyoming in that rough country, and, and so I... Uh, I actually highlighted that story in Western Hunter recently, and, and I appreciated uh, Ryan Hatfield and and the others involved in uh, Western Hunter for actually not editing a lot of that story down as a lot of magazines have to. They included almost all of it. So a special, special hunt for me. Absolutely. Um, and how how many bighorns have you killed in your life, Randy? When we're talking sheep, I get asked that question, and I've never been a person, you know, that's actually put notches on a on a gun, so to speak. But I'm sure I'm probably up close to 150 uh, uh, when I'm counting the sheep that I've personally taken, along with everyone that I've guided. Uh, it's just been my privilege and, and honor to have time out on the mountain with so many incredible people uh, that's what I love about hunting absolutely that's fantastic let's take another quick break here 
Utah Hydrographics is in the water transfer printing service and they are open to whatever you can dream up. Choose from a wide range of camel patterns, designs, and colors. Whether it's guns, bows, tools, rifle stocks, vehicles, steering wheels, fenders, dashboards, paint guns, fishing rods, cups, tripods, watches, knife grips, helmets for a local sports team or for your motorcycle, picture frames, mailbox, animal skulls, you name it, they can probably do it. Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turns them into something that looks fantastic and eye-popping. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the J. Scott 16 promo code. Visit them at utahhydrographics.com or on Instagram at Utah Hydrographics. Whether you are interested in elk, deer, antelope, bighorn sheep, or moose, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines will bring the adventure to your mailbox. These publications feature articles on the finest hunting gear, tips and tactics from experienced hunters, field judging trophies, glassing techniques, calling strategies, and much more. To become a more knowledgeable and skilled hunter, subscribe today. Go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and enter your email address for a chance to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product. Randy, uh, speaking of sheep, when you're looking at rams and evaluating rams uh, and and every unit and every state and you know countries for that matter, every, everything's different, but when we're talking about uh, desert bighorns, Rocky Mountain bighorn, California bighorn. Uh, can you give a little bit of advice to uh, people listening as to what you look for uh, as far as a ram, uh, whether it be age and maturity, uh, whether it be horn configuration uh, and such as to what you're looking for uh, when you draw a tag or a client draws a tag or in the case of Wyoming, you know, uh, you know, do you research, you know, what rams have been taken and then, and then I'm, I'm trying to pick your brain as far as what you're generally looking for, uh, in, in a ram. Well, for instance, in Wyoming on that particular, uh, unit, if you can find a ram that scored from 162 to 170 or you're doing well. Anything over 170 was icing on the cake. Uh, the the bases uh, with the Rocky Rams on that particular unit I had researched generally weren't, you know, going to be 15 inches. And so I I just wanted a, a ram that had age. I always, whether it's a desert ram or a Rocky Mountain ram, I always look for rams they're old and mature, but I look for a big hoop. I call it a a high crown where that horn goes up high and then back because that's going to give you a little more length and then drops below that jaw and turns up to the nose and then carries the mass throughout. And and so when we saw that ram up there, it had a big hoop. We We saw it from miles away. I knew it had good mass, and and so it was kind of a no-brainer. I knew that ram was going to score close to 170, and when I finally took it, it was a 170 caliber ram, which uh, I was excited about. 
if I'm hunting sheep in Utah, because the genetics are going to be different from what you experience in in Arizona, in Utah, quite often, we'll take a mature ram on some of these units that will score 155. And actually, it's an outstanding-looking ram. It, it may not have bases that are 15 inches, and it doesn't, and the ram won't have great length. But after that many years on units in Utah, you can just look at a ram, and you know that it's mature, and it's just a ram you've got to shoot on that unit. Other units, for instance, in in Utah, are capable of producing a 170 ram, and for a ram to get 170, you've got to have bases, you know, that are close to 15 and and length that's going to be close to 36 inches, and and then retain some good mass throughout. And it's a complicated process, as you know, but I, I always look for that big big hoop with at least 36 inch inches in length and and then it turns up and if I when I go down to Arizona I've had had the privilege last couple of years of helping some good friends down there who invited me down uh, the game changes even more and becomes much more complicated as as you and all of the Arizona uh, guides and outfitters know on sheep you really got to study those rams down there and and look for that exceptional mass out in the middle quarters and looking for length you know 37 to, to 40 inches even down there and it uh it can become even more tricky i think one mistake with sheep that i know that i've made throughout the years is sometimes you'll see a ram and it looks like it has a really big set of of horns or tires on its head and yet that that particular ram may have a small body genetically and a, and a smaller head in that particular unit and so what i'm saying if you get a ram that has a small body and a small head the horns on that ram are going to look bigger bigger because of the size of the animal and then that it may not score as much as as you thought. But if you can find a ram and it's just it's got a big head with uh, those big eye sockets that are up there high on that for, the forehead towards the bases, and then it set of horns on its head, then you're probably that you've been uh, searching for for your client, especially if you're hunting in Arizona. And along with that, it's going to have to have some darn good length. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I think I think for people listening, uh, it's very important that that you know the unit that you're hunting. And for me, Randy, I try and research and look at as many rams, get my hands on as many rams, look at as many photos of rams that have come out of that exact unit, and you, you hit the nail on the head in the, in the bases. I think it's always important to know because from unit to unit, state to state, it can really vary in, 
you know, some units are known for 14-inch bases, some units are known for 15-inch bases, some units are known for 16-inch bases. And I think if you can get your hands on as many photos as possible, talk to as many people that have hunted in that unit and try and get all of the measurements, not just the bases, uh, but get all of the quarter measurements and try and have photos. Um, I know that that's helped me a lot in um, trying to bounce, you know, around in different units in Arizona. They're all different. And uh, even, say, western Arizona, uh, you know, desert sheep, uh, some of the units are known for bigger bases. Some are known for longer horns. Um, some, you, you know, you have to take all the variables. And I think that's one of the things that really draws me to uh, trying to learn more about field judging sheep is that it's, it can be very complicated. It can be very easy on, on one hand and very complicated on another. Um, and I think sometimes, uh, you know, people make their hunt all about score um, and, and I think that's unfortunate, but with that being said, and I was curious about your take on it, I feel like, you know, being a sheep hunter, a lot of times that's part of the process of trying to learn everything there is to know about the animal, um, and, and about the unit that you hunt. So my question is, where do you think the happy medium is between trying to be efficient and be as good as you can at field judging and scoring and still maintaining and, and having fun with the hunt and not making, you know, you know, having the look of a ram be more important than the score of a ram? Well, I, I think a lot of times that comes back to the hunter that you're with, uh, over the years, I've, I've been, just been with some incredible people, and, and some of those individuals, they weren't there strictly for the score. They were there for the overall encompassing experience. I, I had a hunter uh, several years ago. Uh, uh, he had been waiting to complete his Grand Slam for 30, 40 years, and he wanted a good, solid ram. He had hunted all over the world, but he also really appreciated the country they lived in, et cetera. And, and he and I, we, we spent 35 days uh, all together. We looked at over 150 rams, and we were really looking for a ram over uh, the 170 mark, and we perhaps passed a couple up early on that may have been close. But in the end, uh, he took a great ram, uh, I think it scored around 166. This was in Utah, not uh, anywhere else. But he uh, he appreciated that hunt more than any other hunt that he had ever been on. Like I said, he had hunted all over the world, but he was there for the overall experience. And finding that happy medium, I guess it does come down to the individual uh, hunter, Jay, but it, it's so much more. For individuals like you and I and other uh, sheep guides, when the hunter sees a ram and it's just a ram they love the look of, yeah, and they want to take it, and it doesn't matter if it's say going to score one eighty five, one seventy five, or one sixty five. It's just a, a ram that has a unique look 
they love the experience that they've been on and, and they when they choose to uh, shoot around like that, I'll support them a hundred percent. Any any more, I really think the experience is is so important to what we're out there on the mountain for. Uh, scores, sure, but points shouldn't dictate what we're in the hunting business for. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I, I like to tell people that I'm guiding or, you know, people that I'm hunting with um, that our goal is, you know, I always try and set out to look at as many rams as I can. And I usually go into the mind, go in with the mindset of trying to film and photograph and get my eyes on every ram in the unit. And a lot of times that's, you know, kind of laughable. Um, but then there's other times when literally, you know, you can spend enough time and spend as many days as you possibly can and kind of taking a uh, inventory of rams. And I feel like if you go into it with the mentality of trying to see every ram that you can, try and get photos of them, try and get video of them so you can evaluate them, you know, uh, you know, you can get a catalog, so to speak, together and really, you know, decide before your hunt, okay, you know, this one's got, you know, flare, this one's got drop, this one's got a high crown, you know, this one's full curl, this, you know, and then figure out which one you want to harvest. I think one mistake a lot of guys make is, you know, they finally draw their once in a lifetime type of, of, of sheep tag and, uh, you know, I feel like guys shoot pretty early. They shoot in the first day or two and maybe because the terrain is really tough and maybe the conditions aren't ideal that, you know, I, I just feel like a lot of people, uh, don't spend as much time possibly as they should. And I think another thing is, and I'm curious about your opinion on this. I feel like it's a once in a lifetime hunt in most cases. Uh, for a lot of people, they feel like they see just a, a nice solid ram and because of the terrain and because, you know, the densities sometimes aren't as high, a lot of times I think people get itchy to just want to harvest one because they feel like maybe they're not going to get another chance at that. And I was curious if you'd seen that in, in your guiding career. I, I think a lot of hunters do get nervous because as you uh, stated, it is a in most cases, a once-in-a-lifetime experience that some people have waited 30, 40 years to draw those permits. And and so they, they do get nervous. And I think as guides and outfitters, depending on the units that we were on, if we know that we can still find them a, a, a great ram, and convince them to not get nervous. And, and, and of course, sometimes a lot depends on how much time they have. Uh, people just want to come in, get it done, and and fly back to wherever they're yeah. from. It, it's it's just nice if, if where it's a once-in-a-life experience, if they will find the time in their busy schedules to just enjoy that experience and listen to their guides and not get nervous uh if we're confident that we can still find them a great representative 
Ram and 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 you guys in Arizona, you you have it tough in a lot of ways. Sure, you get to see quite a few Rams, etc. But have such incredible genetics that sometimes there are such huge expectations from the hunters that it, it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on on you guys down in Arizona and boy, sometimes those rams down there, you've got incredible mass in those middle quarters and it makes it hard to tell what your bases are because those rams are so massive in, in your middles and so I admire all the work that you do down in in Arizona. Your job is just as tough as mine. Up here, I'm backpacking in nowhere and it's uh, sometimes we don't see very many sheep, but on the other hand, you guys in Nevada and Arizona have it just as tough in many different ways. For sure. Let's take a quick break here. Have you guys heard about PhoneScope? PhoneScope is a privately held company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. Take digiscoping photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. PhoneScope is the future of digiscoping. Get yours now. Use the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at PhoneScope. That's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com or on Instagram at PhoneScope. Wilderness Athlete is committed to improving the health and quality of life for the outdoor athlete by providing field-tested, scientifically validated nutrition and sports performance products. Check them out at WildernessAthlete.com and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any order. Randy, I think you bring up a great point there of expectations and you know, I, I think you hit the nail on the head in, in, in states where, you know, you have a lot of animals and you have high trophy quality. Um, you know, I think it's important to choose a guide that's willing to put in a bunch of time and, you know, potentially willing to let rams, really good rams walk in order to really try and find something special. Um, and I think, you're exactly right when you say that, you know, with our elk and our mule deer and our antelope and our sheep, I mean, Arizona has pretty darn good quality. Um, and, and a lot of times, um, you know, I, I, a kind of a funny story, uh, years ago, I, I was fortunate to hunt several years on the San Carlos Indian reservation for elk. And I remember the last bull that I shot there, um, was a 406 bull that I shot with my bow. And um, I, this guy called me on the phone and was asking me about my hunt and how'd it go. I saw oh, it was fantastic. It was great. And um, kind of a drought year and shot a really, really good bull with incredible fronts, 25 inch thirds and 22 inch, you know, first and seconds and kind of petered out in the back. And you know, he said, what did it score? And I said, 406. And his exact words, I'll never forget it, were, that's it? <laughs> and, and, and I think, you know, people's expectations and, you know, it's like they just call their buddies and it's, you know, what's so-and-so shoot? What's so-and-so shoot? What's, you know, and it's, it, it just becomes a number. And I think the older I get, the more that, um, you know, I want to make it about the experience as well. 
Uh, not that I won't always try and do my very best and try and, you know, if I've got a client that's willing to really uh, look at as many rams as possible or as many bucks or bulls or whatever. Um, but I think as a, as a, you know, group in general, uh, hunters, we have to really watch. I, I think it comes with maturity. I think the more mature I get, um, the more that I focus on the little things that matter, you know, the, the, the sunsets and the sunrises and the pretty views and the, you know, the, the people that I'm with and, and, uh, just getting to, to enjoy those animals and what an opportunity we have here and, in the United States, uh, to, and it's, you know, especially in the Western United States to, to have some unbelievable public land hunting. And, and, uh, you know, I just encourage people out there to not make it about numbers, uh, all the time. And, 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 you know, it's fine to be very, uh, precise and, and, and very, uh, efficient and trying to field judge and, and know what you're doing, but don't make the whole hunt, the success of the hunt based on, you know, whether something scores a hundred or whether it scores 200 or, you know, a, a bull scores 400 or 390 or, you know, 340. It, it, you know, I, I think it can ruin a lot of hunts and it sets yourself up for, uh, any hunts after that where you're, you know, you're basing your next success. Is it better than the last one that I shot? And, you know, sometimes that's hard to do. I agree and uh, pre appreciate every word that you said there because that's exactly how I feel. It, we need, as hunters, uh, if we're going to promote our hunting heritage, we've got to learn to smell the roses of that overall experience. And it can't be solely about points. Uh, we really hurt ourselves, I think, uh, in this profession with those people outside who really don't understand hunting when they think, you know, we're just pursuing a trophy animal just for points. It's, it's not just about that as you so uh, aptly said, Jay, it's, it's about that overall experience of people you're with, the sunset, the sunrises, a storm that you survived out on the mountain on and on and on. So I, I appreciate what you just said. Randy, let's uh, shift focus here a little bit. Uh, I know you're kind of a gear junkie um, and uh, like to try out gear and like to really push push your gear and push yourself. Um, can you give me some pieces of equipment or gear that you know you've just found over the years that you know that you really like and that you can quote unquote you know right now it's got your stamp of approval? Well, I'm, I'm sure I'll hurt someone's feelings when I say these things, <laughs> because there's a lot of great gear out there, as you know, but, uh, you know, several pieces of equipment. I just, I can't go without it. Number one, a quality pair of optics, uh, because of what I do and uh, a quality tripod. And I use personally, you know, I, I'm a Swarovski man. There's a lot of other great optics out there. And I generally use the 15s in, in sheep country, but uh, I also have found, even if I have a, a pair of cans, that if I'm using a quality tripod, it makes my job a lot easier. I'll find a lot more animals. And I use an outdoorsman tripod, but again, there's other uh, good
good tripod that people use. And a lot depends if you're backpack hunting or if you're on a horse or you're, if you have a vehicle on the kind of a tripod that you use. But the other items of gear that I really have to have is a quality pair of boots now, Jay, and uh, a quality backpack. And it's, a lot of that is because of the country I'm in. But I'm, uh, I love my uh, Kuyu backpacks, and I'm big on on a lot of uh, the Kuyu hunting clothes because it's for ultralight hunting, and I spend a lot of my time on on backpack trips. But without a quality pair of boots, you're just not going to get get into the country that you need to go into and I know I found out I had a pair of boots on not when I was down in Arizona last year and on guiding some hunts in Sonora and I had uh, cactus spines going through the, the Teflon part of the outer sole into my foot and so I have to be uh, very careful on the equipment I choose for the kind of terrain that I'm going to be in. But those, uh, the, that's some equipment that I've just absolutely got to have and can't go without is quality optics, uh, quality boots, and a quality backpack for myself personally. couple quick questions for you, Randy. Um, so you use the 15s a lot on a tripod. Do you uh, carry the 15s around your neck uh, in a bino pouch, or do you carry a smaller optic and I'm curious what optic um, power you carry around your neck mostly. Because I'm out on those backpack trips on most of the units here in Utah, I am carrying the 15s around my neck. I've gotten used to it over the years. Uh, if I was was hunting off of a, a four-wheeler or on old mining roads, et cetera, then I would have, I probably wouldn't wear them around my neck. I would have them where I could set up with that tripod really quick. Uh, I know uh, that weight in an optics pouch might bother some people. It hasn't me. I've, I've gotten used to that over the years. And yes, I do have that pair of 15s in a vinyl patch over my neck most of the time. And so... Your your logic with that is if you're backpacking, carrying two pairs of binos way back in the backcountry is is overkill and too much weight. So you're saying that, that you want to always have the 15s and that even if you have to handhold them, you'll sacrifice a little bit of shaky, you know, not being able to hold them as well as like 8s or 10s, but you're eliminating a couple pounds where you're not bringing a whole other set of binos. Exactly, and uh, one thing that I will do quite often is, is when I see a hillside or an animal that I want to glass, I I use trekking poles a lot, and I will drop them poles in the sand or the rocks, put as a monopod underneath my pair of 15s, and it's it's remarkably steady until if I choose. If the animal is of the quality I want to put those in on the tripod and put my spotting scope on it, I can. But I'll use my trekking pole as a monopod to glass off of a lot of time, and it's it's remarkably steady with those 15s. Another question I have for you is on the boots. Um, 
give me a couple of pairs of boots that you, that you do like uh, as far as, you know, your everyday, um, you know, boots that you're wearing, guiding sheep hunters and such. What what pairs of boots have you found that work best for your feet right now? Uh, I'm a I'm a big fan of the Scarpa Canisius Pro and the Shormaz. I do use Crispy. Uh, Crispy isn't as well known as some of the other uh, boot manufacturers. Crispy is an Italian company, and and I really really like the Crispy Spiders. Uh, for the desert country, uh, they fit my my feet really really well. And then I use the uh, Zamberlin GTX guides have been a great boot for me also. But again, I think it's so important for hunters when they're spending that kind of money on a pair of boots to be able to try those boots on if they can get a hold of a pair. Uh, Boots just fit people's feet differently. Uh, no foot is is the same, and so that's why it's so important to be able to try that boot on, you know, before you get out on in the hills, just when you're spending that kind of money. And that's that's three boot companies, three pairs of boots that I wear that have worked really really well for me. That's good stuff, uh, Randy. What do you think the biggest mistake you've made on a hunt and ha- how and what did you learn from it and and how did it make you better by making that mistake whether it was your own personal hunt or a guided hunt? Well, that's that's just a great uh question. I think probably the most common mistake most of us as hunters have made is is probably misreading the wind or our terrain. But, I, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes out there on the mountain over the year and years. And probably some of those as a, as a, as a sheep guide that has made me a better guide is, is I referred to this a little earlier, uh, not recognizing, I think, Jay, that some, uh, some desert rams have smaller bodies and smaller heads, which will make the horns look bigger so again that research on units and recognizing in sheep in particular if they have a a bigger body and a a bigger head with those eye sockets etc then those horns are probably going to be just as big as what you think they are but sometimes on units whether it's in utah nevada or arizona you'll have some pygmy body genetics, which will make the horns look bigger than they really are. So that's a mistake that I try to do my research on and do a better job of. Uh, Another mistake I made over the years is if you spot a ram during the rut in the evening, you better try and make a move on it if you possibly can that night, because it's not going to be around the, the next day. It's, uh, those rams are moving, looking for use continually, and again, depending on the unit or if it's with a big herd of ewes, but I, I've made that mistake a couple of times over the years where I, I spotted a ram, thought I could locate it the next day, it was during the rut, and it just took off on me, and I never did find it again, and I think it's really critical 
that we know the terrain that we're guiding in. Uh, I've had several situations over the year, years where I didn't know the terrain I was in, and I started to make a stalk on an animal, and I ended up getting cliffed out or canyoned out, and and had to reverse my course to make make it work. And uh, another mistake that sometimes we can make is overestimating the physical abilities or physical condition of our hunters. I try to always quiz my hunters and, and have a real keen understanding of what they can do physically and get them prepared uh, for the hunt. Uh, if you overestimate what they can do physically, a lot of times uh, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot uh, when you're guiding a hunter. Man, I think you gave some great advice there. Um, one thing I'll bounce back to is you're talking about uh, the size of rams' bodies. I, I think um, people could take this uh, in a lot of animals, you know, mule deer, coos deer, elk. I think body size and maturity uh, sometimes ra uh, range a lot. You can have, um, you know, a buck that you think is really big or a ram that you think is really big and then all of a sudden three more rams walk into the picture uh, into your field of view and you realize that you know the ram that you thought was really big you know another ram comes stand right next to it and it's you know four inches taller uh, standing shoulder to shoulder and you know longer and you know more of a pot belly and and, and it's happened to me on coos deer as well um, you know you can get those pygmy body, uh, you know, just smaller body that, you know, you would swear as a big, giant, mature, just really big buck. And all of a sudden, you know, five bucks walk into your field of view and he, and the buck you've been looking at is the smallest one. So I think, I think, uh, you bring up a great point there. I think it's important to always try and field judge, um, your trophy that you're going to harvest, it's always nice to have it standing next to some other animals so that you can, you know, kind of look at the body characteristics and, and, you know, make sure that, you know, you're not going to make a mistake. One, you know, the hardest animal to judge is one that's standing completely by itself. Uh, you know, whether it's an elk, a deer, or, uh, you know, whatever, um, it, when they're alone, uh, it can be very, very deceiving. And, uh, I think that's, those are all great tips that you bring up there and, um, just really appreciate you spending time with us today. Um, wondering if you have any concluding thoughts here, um, before I let you go. Well, I, I appreciate the time. I've enjoyed uh, visiting with you very much. Uh, I guess I just believe, uh, with what we love to do, all of us, uh, when it comes to hunting, Jay, that it's really critical uh, that we continue to promote our hunting heritage in a, in a positive way by the examples we set. Boy, in today's world, you know, social media just went crazy, and I think quite often the public has been exposed to more of the negative stories, uh, uh, perhaps of someone who's been dishonest or unethical or, or untrustworthy and then that gives a lot of us a black eye when we really didn't didn't deserve it so if that if our hunting heritage is 
really going to survive so that we can pass it on down to that younger generation. We just have to do a better job of the examples we set and, and by educating those young hunters out there uh, about what it means to be ethical and what it means to be a man and a woman of our word. Uh, I, you know, I, I love what I do because the adrenaline rush that we all get out there on the mountain and and seeing those people we're working with uh, achieve success because boy they they have sacrificed a a lot in their lives and that means a lot to me to to see them successful because I know they put a lot of sweat and blood and tears into those dreams and and once again I just come back to what you and I both said earlier. It's hunting is so much more than just the scores. It is about that encompassing experience and the sharing of information as we've done today and stories and making long uh, friendships. And thanks for having me on. Absolutely, buddy. I uh, look forward to having you on again and uh, want to encourage people to check out Randy's site at highdesertsheepguides.com. Uh, is that the best way for people to learn about learn more about you and and uh, find out how to get a hold of you, Randy? Well, they can, and they can always call me on my cell number four three five nine zero eight one three nine. And I just uh, I just like to go and spend time with good people out on the mountain, whether we're hunting, whether we're just looking at animals. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and. Uh, there really are some just incredible people uh, in in our profession and what we do, and my life has been enriched by a lot of good people out there. Well, you've certainly done a good job today on this podcast, and um, wish you the best of success, and uh, maybe there'll be a chance I can look you up when I'm up there uh, on the beaver, and uh, we can share a meal or something, and uh, I look forward to it, and uh, wish you... Wish you a great hunting season and a, a good summer scouting here and just enjoy it. And I uh, uh, look forward to uh, having you on again. Thank you so much, Jay. Have a great day. All right. Bye.